Mrs. Wilson was trying to be tactful with her friend, Mrs. Griffin. Now that your son George is 30, don't you think it's time he decided to do what to do with his life? Oh, Mrs. Griffin said, he's at a very difficult age. What do you mean? Her friend said, well, he's just simply caught in limbo, too old to live at home with us and too young to draw social security. It's the best example I could find, the best clean example I could find of a dysfunctional family. Well, it may or may not be overindulgent parents, but every family has some dysfunction in it. No family is perfect. Reading the story of the loving father or the prodigal son, whatever we want to call it, we see some of their dysfunction, that neither son has a great relationship with his father. One son disrespects him enough to plan for his father's death by claiming his inheritance while his dad still is alive. The other son is distant enough that he assumes that his dad won't have enough love or enough money left over for him. He's concerned with what's fair for him. Both sons are self-centered. Well, like Jesus, we'll look at the younger son first, the one we call the prodigal. In this story, prodigal means extravagant to the point of being wasteful. Over time, we have given to that word prodigal the meaning of one who not only is wasteful, but who turns away from their family's norms. Always, when we say that word, we proclaim a hope that the one who has gone away will eventually realize how good he or she had it and turn around and come home. Well, in any good story, the reader is drawn in to identify with certain characters. Some writers can be so or authors, I guess, can be so clever that we identify with the antagonist as well as the protagonist. The writers of the TV show All in the Family, I think, were especially good at this. With, with the help of Carol O'Connor, they made Archie Bunker into someone who was rude, chauvinistic, selfish, and yet we liked him. He had some redeeming qualities about him that endeared him to us. Well, we also have this young whippersnapper, prodigal son, who wanted to go and sow his wild oats. And it's it's the same way with him. At first, we're struck by his rudeness and his selfishness. But then when he hits bottom, we feel a little sorry for him. And I think the reason that we feel a little sorry for him is because we have hit bottom too. We have had times when we have been at the bottom of the well looking up with no visible means of escape. 
Life's pressures overwhelm us and we wonder whether we're going crazy sometimes because our heads feel as if they're going to explode if some of the pressure doesn't let off soon. At some point, we exhaust our resources. Our money is gone or at least has no more meaning. Our friends seem non-existent or we can't talk to them. The pigs are eating better than we are. We have to make a change. We have to call out for help. The prodigal son realizes this and heads home. And he practices on his way the speech to his father that he's planning to give. The father that in a way he has disowned. As he didn't know what to expect when he got home, we don't know what to expect when we make a change either. There are no guarantees that things will get better. The only guarantee is that if we stay the same, we will die. To live, we must go home, even if we don't know what we'll find. Because we too have been prodigals now and again, we celebrate with relief and joy when the father effusively welcomes the son home. These days, it's not strange to see a father run up to a son and pick him up and hold him or um, even maybe kiss him on the cheek. But that expressiveness was unheard of in Jesus' day. But even though running was beneath This man's dignity, this father's dignity, he didn't care. He was so full of love and joy that he ran. He hugged his son. He kissed him. And the son started into the lines that he had been practicing. But he doesn't, I don't know if you noticed, he doesn't get through them all the way. His father interrupts him and says, Reclothe him as my son. Bring the best robe, a family ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the fatted calf. It's time for a party. Death has become life. My lost child has been found. After all the sins the son has committed against his father, the two are reconciled. And that is a powerful thing. Sons and fathers have a relationship like no other. Daughters have a unique relationship with their father as well, but it's different from a son's. Sons crave their father's blessing and sometimes do crazy things to attempt to receive it. Many fathers withhold their blessings from their sons because their own fathers did, and that difficult cycle continues through generations. This father broke the cycle. Bill Cosby said, If the new American father feels bewildered and even defeated, let him take comfort from the fact that whatever he does in any fathering situation has a 50% chance of being right. 
Well, the father in Jesus' story got it right when he immediately restored his son to full status. It's the perfect ending, except it's not the end. After a Sunday school teacher told the story of the prodigal son to her class, she asked, Was anyone sorry when the prodigal son returned? One boy answered, Yes, the fatted calf. <laughs> well, we know that the fatted calf wasn't the only, so, only one sorry that this son had come home, that his big brother joined the calf in that sentiment. While the little brother expected to perhaps be treated as a slave in his father's house, the older brother felt like a slave. He felt duty-bound to serve. That was the way he sought his father's blessing, by never disobeying him, by staying on the farm, by doing everything he was supposed to do. And what blessing did he get? What reward did he receive in his perspective? Nothing. Not even a little goat to have a party with his friends. Well, we can tell by the story that he's upset. Lori Kitchens tells about when she and her children had finished unpacking at their new house. And they couldn't find their poodle. And so they hopped in the car and they started driving around the neighborhood and looking for their, their dog because they figured in a new neighborhood the dog wouldn't know how to get home. And finally they had driven by their, their new house again and several houses down they saw a man sitting out on his front porch. And so they stopped to ask, have you seen our dog? It's a little poodle. And he said, she's been running behind your car for the past 10 minutes. <laughs> Sometimes we look so hard in our own direction for God's blessings that we fail to notice that they're right there with us. The gracious father responds to his son, to this son also, not perhaps with a physical embrace, but with a verbal embrace. He says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. This older son seems to think that if his little brother got the fatted calf in the party, there was nothing left for him. The father wants him to adjust that perspective, to see that his father's love was more abundant and extravagant than the son had ever known. In chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is explaining a change in perspective as well. When he says we once knew Christ in the flesh or from a human point of view, he means we once regarded Jesus from human standards, from the standards of this world. We thought he was a good man, a righteous man. Now... Having been transformed, our vision is clearer. Jesus was more than a really good man. He had the power to reconcile us to God. We were 
created by God. We were one with God, but like the prodigal, we grabbed our inheritance and ran. Jesus Christ was given the power to transform our relationships with God, to transform us to understand that no longer was God a distant father who withheld his blessings from us in a finicky or immature way. Now, like the prodigal's father, God has run to us and embraced us and kissed us and clothed us royally. So if anyone in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And Paul continues that all this is from God. All this reconciliation, all this transformation, all this, all these opportunities to be reconciled with And blessed by our Father, all this is from God. We can't do it ourselves. If a precious bowl dropped and broke into just two pieces, we could buy some crazy crazy glue and put it on there and we could put it back together and we could use that bowl. But with God, it's like us having been broken, separated into more than one piece. And God melts us down and then re-blows us into a new and beautiful creation. Also to be used. About two months ago, my husband Brian started searching for the rest of his Christmas gift. On Christmas morning, he had received a dog dish, dog collar, dog leash, and permission from his wife to adopt a second dog. His search started on the internet and continued through the Campbell County Humane Society. And about two weeks beyond that, we met Levi, a five-year-old black lab. He was way too skinny and living in a foster kennel near Rustburg. Well, that's how we humans are sometimes, just like Levi, just like the prodigal son, lonely, hungry, and desperate for a place where we know we are wanted and loved and blessed. The end of the story of the prodigal sons has not been written. Though the father expresses words of love and grace, we do not know whether the elder son decides to receive this abounding love or to continue to reject it. And we have the same decision to make. Like the Humane Society brought together Levi and Brian... Jesus brings us together with God, connecting or reconnecting us. 
And then because we have been reconciled with God, we become ministers of reconciliation. We proudly and joyfully proclaim this power and this loving sense of home to others who are lonely, hungry, and desperate. Grace and love and acceptance are handed to us continually on a silver platter. What will we do with grace and love and acceptance and home?